Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, I want to draw your attention to a book. I'm always interested in books on recent Irish history, and uh, this one is worth a read. Whether you agree with everything in it or not, it'll be up to you to decide. It's called A Broad Church, the Provisional IRA in the Republic of Ireland, 1969 to 1980. And just as a little seller for the book on the back page, it says, during its three-decade military campaign against British rule in Northern Ireland, the Provisional IRA used the Republic of Ireland as a base for training, supply, finance, and support. This groundbreaking book is the first to detail how integral the Republic was to the veracity of the Provisional IRA's campaign at every level. The amount of sympathy and support in Irish society for militant republicanism demonstrates that the longevity of the Troubles was due in large part to such widespread tolerance and aid. The writer is Gerard O'Feal. And Gerard, good morning. Good morning, hello. Uh, very much involved with uh, university, uh, university down in Munster, is that right? That's right, I did my PhD at the University of Limerick. A lot of people who will be from, shall we say, a unionist, stroke loyalist persuasion will totally agree with that last sentence there, that the amount of sympathy and support in Irish society for militant republicanism demonstrates that the longevity of the Troubles was due in large part to such widespread tolerance and aid. People who maybe in some cases have never been to the Republic of Ireland believe that it's a hotbed of support for the provost, or it, or it was. Is that, is that the message in the book? Well, the, the message is that I think the, 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 a large part of the population of the South had at best ambivalent attitudes um, towards militant republicanism. But that, I, I think that was as well, you know, it has to be said for balance, fed in part by the situation that they've seen in the North, you know, this, this um, you know, what they would have seen as oppression. So, the, you know, as well, coupled with that, you had, of course, the, the kind of long ideal of, of reuniting the country. So, you know, they, it, it would be dormant, that kind of um, support would be dormant at times and would come to life then when there would have been, you know, let's say something like internment introduced or, or the reaction to the civil rights campaign. So whenever something was very much in the headlines, as you say, internment or civil rights or eventually the hunger strikes, the, the like of that would have generated support for the provisionals, regardless of what they were doing? Like th those same people in the South who were prepared to support them, were, were they not ticking off the atrocities carried out by the IRA? 
I think people, if you talk about the, the large proportion of the population that was a bit malleable, you know, that went in and out of, of support for the IRA, they would have absolutely been, you know, against the IRA in terms of attacks where, where civilians were targeted. And they would have made their feelings known as well. But, the, you know, the, the, a large part of this, this population would have been able to turn around and have no qualms about the fact that, you know, when British soldiers were targeted, um, you obviously had the hardcore Republican support who would have, you know, obviously not, not cheered on the, the killing of civilians, but would have seen it as, as an unfortunate almost byproduct, to use a you know, very crude term, of, you know, the, the provisional IRA's campaign. And what about with, absolutely within political circles? Charlie Hawhey came in for severe criticism down the years for his tolerance of a, a campaign that was happening in in Northern Ireland. He 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 may he may have had his his critics within the Republican movement, but there were certainly uh, people who felt he w- he was soft on on terrorism. Uh, d- did that manifest itself in a, in a number of political parties, or, or were people maybe more like what Garrett Fitzgerald was seen to be like? I think within the political parties, at a you know at a level of of members of parliament, of TDs and the Dáil, they, I think most of them would have been absolutely opposed to the provisional IRA's campaign. You know, even Charlie Hawhey previously during the, the IRA's border campaign, 1956 to 62, you know, Hawhey was, was very harsh on Republicans. Um, and in the 1960s, during this lull period, you know, he had banned the, the, the sale of the Easter Lily in the South, which, you know, caused riots and, and there was a lot of arrests. So how he, you know, and then in, again in the in the 1970s, apart from the the arms crisis, which could even be seen as a power play within a you know political party struggle, as in getting people you know who would have been nationally minded on on board for him if he was to make a power play for leadership of Fianna Fáil. Because if you look at all how his actions before and after the arms crisis, he would have been someone who was very. Um, very harsh on Republicans in the South. Yeah, it's just w- worth emphasising your interpretation of the arms crisis because some people won't understand what you're, what you're saying there, his involvement in that. Okay, yeah. So, I, I mean, so Hahi and, and two other ministers, or at least one other minister, were responsible for trying to get weapons and did get some weapons into the, into the well, onto the island, we'll say, in order to arm nationalists in the North. Now, Hahi and, and this other person was uh, Kevin Bowler, or sorry, um, Neil Blaney, they were put on trial and they were basically, um, they lost out, they were kicked out of the cabinet and another minister resigned in protest at this. Um, one of those other ministers, the one who resigned in protest, uh, Boland, he, throughout the rest of his political career, was very um, publicly Republican and supportive of the IRA, whereas Hahi was, was not, we'll say. He would have he would have been in governments that introduced juryless courts. Um, he would have been in a government where there was very coercive, you know, physical and psychological abuse meted out to to prisoners in order to extract confessions. So he was he was certainly not seen by Republicans as being soft on republicanism or as part of you know sympathetic to them. Uh, were unionists and loyalists justified in their analysis that if a, an, an IRA member managed to get across the border, that a blind eye would be turned in the likes of Dundalk or Castle Blaney or along the border on the way across to Donegal, that they, they, the guards might 
set up the checkpoint on the wrong road to ensure that they didn't catch those who were escaping? Or is that a, an injustice to, to the Garda Síochána? I think, by and large, it's an injustice. I think the, the Gardaí and the Irish Defence Forces were very set on suppressing the IRA. Um, their, their hands were tied sometimes by legislation, um, but I think, by, you know, by and large, they, they were opposed to the IRA. They, they seen members of, particularly the Gardaí, you know, members of Garda Síochána were shot by the IRA in the 1970s, 80s and 90s. Um, so they would have been opposed to them. But they, there was always... There was always a reluctance, you know, and you would see this with um, the reluctance to extradite captured IRA members to, to the north, to Northern Ireland to face trial. There was a reluctance to do that given the, we say, like the, the lack of a, you know, a proper justice system in the north at the time, where, whereas it was internment or after that diplock courts. I think the preference would have been for those in the south, either politically or within the judiciary or within the Garda Síochána, that if they could arrest them and, and try them in the south and put them in jail in the south to put them out of action rather than send them up and face the, you know, the political distastefulness of, of having to bring in extradition in the face of you know, the situation in the north because there would have been a big backlash against that in the south. And some of those backlashes did come, especially when Garda Jerry McCabe was killed by the IRA while on, on duty in, in the Republic. And there's been a lot of talk uh, because of his son, uh, Brian Stack's son, who constantly challenged Martin McGuinness when he wanted to become the Irish president. Uh, Brian Stack was a, a prison officer who was shot and later died by by the IRA. Did, did, did that cause revulsion in the Republic? Yeah, I think it did. You know, you can see, um, I mean, there were several in the 1970s in the course of armed robberies, there was, there was other Gardaí shot and people would come out in to show their solidarity and, and let's say their disgust at the IRA in large numbers at the funeral. So that's how you could see, you know, people's reaction to that. Um, but I mean, the, the, the strange thing is when you speak to interviewees, as I did, you know, they would, they would have anecdotes about people who would, uh, would demonstrate their, their disgust at these kind of actions. But again, you know, would be, would be fine with the IRA then when it carried out what they would have considered like a military or targeting a military target in the north. So there was, I mean, this ambivalence kind of, it, 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 was, it was in all layers of, of Irish life, apart from, I would say, the, the, the political and judiciary from, from, let's say, 1972 onwards. One of the largest losses of life for the British military here was the attack in Warren Point in 1979 on the parachute regiment when a considerable number, I think it was something like 18 or 19 soldiers, were killed at narrow water. How did that go down generally in the, the Republic? Was there revulsion of that loss of life or would you have spoken to people who would have celebrated that, that sort of attack considering no civilians had been killed? In, in narrow water, I, I don't think celebration, but certainly... If it was a you know a successful military operation against the British, that would have been seen as okay. You know, a lot of people would just have not said anything about it. They certainly wouldn't have expressed distaste. But I mean, as you know, the same day across on the other side of the country, um, there was the attack on on uh, Louis Mountbatten, and and there was him and his you know and, and his wife and civilians were killed. So that would have certainly been. You know, I think, I mean, that was obviously the, the, even the bigger page news. That would have been something that was not taken well by people in the South.
So because children died when Mountbatten died on the same day in Sligo, they they were openly critical of that attack, but they were more muted on the really what was the slaughter of those soldiers at, at Narrow Water. Yeah, yes. Um, and I think, you know, I, I mean, any such attack where, where there were civilians, particularly children killed, I think the people who would have got that most, you know, the, having their ear to the ground were people who would have been selling on Fublock in the south. Uh, they would have been out on the streets um, and people would be would have no hesitation in going up to them and, 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 and telling them, you know, how horrified they were at this. And they, they were, you know, some people I spoke to would have been people who would have sold on Fublock and they would tell you that, you know, people were very, very horrified at this. Well, certainly an interesting read for anyone who likes to keep abreast of recent history in Ireland. It's called A Broad Church, the Provisional IRA in the Republic of Ireland from 1969 through to 1980. It's available uh, via Marion Press by Gerard O'Fallon. Gerard, thanks for speaking to us this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. So there's another book to add to your uh, literary mix if you're so inclined. And of course, make up your own minds on everything you read. But the more you read, I think the more you understand as long as you're not constantly influenced by just one writer or one section of the community. Right, 028903105. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.